Habits and Health, episode 66. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another edition of Habits and Health, and my guest today is Jay Fields, who is an educator, coach, and author, and has been teaching the principles of embodied social and emotional intelligence to individuals and organizations for 20 years. And we talk about her work doing that, how her approach to helping people have their own back, about um, psychosocial health, about her book, Teaching People Not Poses, and many other areas. So that's this week with Jay Fields. If you know anyone who gets some real value from some of the wisdom that Jay shares, please do share the episode with them. Habits and Health, today my guest is Jay Fields. How are you doing, Jay? I'm great. It's good to be here, Tony. Um, for the for the people listening, we've had quite an eventful time just getting <laughs> to this point. I mean, for you, it's just like a few seconds in. We've spent days trying to get to this point. So. I know, in sitting in silence with one another, trying to communicate. Yeah, technology is, is, technology is a wonderful thing. But we find <laughs> you in, are you in LA, I think, aren't you? Um, I'm about an hour and a half north of LA in a small town called Ojai. Okay, and is that where you're from? No, I'm from outside of Washington D.C., so I I made the the East Coast to West Coast transition. And and how are you finding the California life? Oh well, the the California life in this small town is perfect for me. Everything else around here is insanity. <laughs> I'm definitely I, I'm loath to go to L.A. unless I absolutely have to. Right. I, I think I know. I I mean, I grew up in London. And I now live, it kind of sounds quite equivalent to you. I'm I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm in a, a small sort of village. I'm in the top of a valley in a, in a village, and it's much nicer. Out yes, here. that's sanity. Yeah. <laughs> My nervous system likes that a lot better. Well, and talking of nervous system, I mean, that's quite something that, um, that's quite important to you in what you do as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's kind so of the foundational piece of, um, you know, the work that I do with people when I'm coaching is very much about relationships and how you show up in the important relationships in your life. But the foundation to my work is about embodied self-awareness and being able to regulate your nervous system because without those pieces, um, behavior change doesn't happen. So there's a lot to dig into there. So yeah. <laughs> before we do dig into that, I'm interested how did this all come about? Where where did you start? You know, what, what made you come into this field? Uh, well, you know, there was a lot of different twists and turns along the way. I once had a mentor uh, speak of having uh, a career that's like a path through tall grass. It's not there until you look back. Um, so there were lots of different places where uh, different kind of threads came in, but the very beginning of it was when I was in uh, college, I started my freshman year of college. I took, I started taking yoga and rock climbing. And I recognized that I was an entirely different human being when I was doing those things. Cause those are things that require being totally present in your body. And I got really interested in what would have was kind of a very beginning field at the time was studying the mind-body connection. You know, this was the late 90s, and that really wasn't mainstream at that point. But that's where I, I developed my 
own uh, course of studies called psychosocial health and human movement. And the whole idea behind that was to study how um, presence in one's body can act in a preventative measure in terms of psychological and social health. So that's how it all started back in the day. Wow. And so where, so once you started taking interest in that, what, what did you do to, to take that further? What happened next? I did a lot of different things, which is where that path through tall grass piece comes in. I remember, you know, people in my life being like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Cause I did a lot of different pieces. So I, I, when I was 19, I started teaching yoga and I taught yoga all the way up until the pandemic. So over 20 years, um, that was a piece of it. In my twenties, I also continued to teach rock climbing and backpacking and working with adjudicated youth in wilderness therapy situations. And then I uh, started getting really interested. I'd done enough in an experiential education format to understand that it's really difficult to speak to a group of people and take them to a transform through a transformational process if you don't understand trauma and you don't understand the brain and you don't understand the nervous system. So that's when I started studying trauma-informed approaches to working with people. I started studying the neurobiology of what's happening in our bodies when we are present in our bodies. Um, And I also started more intently doing my own therapeutic process and working with a therapist. So then bringing in more of the psychoeducational models, the models of development and understanding uh, the relational context. Because the thing with a lot of what I did in my in my early career in my twenties was that it was very much um, some of the path I took could be used to escape. Meaning, I can feel peace and calm on my yoga mat, or I could feel peace and calm when I was out rock climbing in the middle of nowhere. But you put me in front of a person. <laughs> And that doesn't necessarily translate. So I think, you know, I, the relational piece really came in um, after about 10 years of studying the mind-body connection internally and then realizing, gosh, what I'm learning in those contexts doesn't necessarily translate to how I show up with um, in my romantic relationships and my professional relationships. And so at what point did you start working with with clients? So I, mean, I guess that was from the beginning, from doing the yoga, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, um, I worked in a group context in, in the beginning, teaching yoga, taking people on trips. I didn't start working one-on-one with people until about, uh, let's see, that would have been 2008, something like that. And how that happened was at that point, I had been teaching yoga for almost 10 years and I, I like writing and I was writing a blog and, um, back when blogs were like the thing. And I put together a series of blogs that then turned into a book called teaching people, not poses. And the whole idea of that was how to essentially show up as a human being and an expert at the same time. And since the thing I knew how to do is teach yoga. That's what it was about. And what ended up happening was other yoga teachers started reaching out to me and asking to coach, you know, for me to coach them. And I thought, 
really? You're going to pay me to sit down and talk with you? So I did not seek it out. It kind of found me. And then what happened from there was yoga teachers would tell their friends or their sisters or their dads or whoever their colleagues, Hey, I worked with Jay and she really helped. And it turns out it had nothing to do with teaching yoga. It had more to do with, um, being able to become a whole person. And then it just evolved from there. Well, and and how different did you find it from you spent what ten years working with groups, and then now you're just working one on one? How was was that just you know easy to transfer to to transform from those two from groups wow. to individual or not? It was terrifying. Right. <laughs> it was, but you know, to be completely honest, working in groups was terrifying too. You know, I, I definitely have, um, a part of me that's really shy and a part of me that just would much prefer to be in the middle of nowhere alone. Uh, so the, the first transition to working one-on-one was really scary because I didn't feel like I knew what I had to offer in that setting and it, in a teaching or an educational setting, I felt like I could, I could inspire or I could give a great experience and that would be enough. But in a one-on-one, I really felt the pressure to help somebody change. And, um, over time, what I found was that I loved the one-on-one because ultimately I've always been, I guess what you would say, like an an intro an extroverted introvert i i much prefer one-on-one connection and so once i found my my grounding in it i really preferred it and interestingly in the last year i've gone back to working in groups and from a different aspect so in the past i would say i was i was an educator in a group format and now i'm coaching in a group format so i have a group coaching program that is now taking what i've been doing for the last 6 or 7 years with individuals and putting it into a group format and it's back you know to being terrifying all over again <laughs> are you finding it very different to work with groups now from how it was before um Gosh, good question. I haven't really had a moment to pause and consider that. Yes and no. I think, um, you know, even back when I was teaching yoga or leading programs or um, working with people in in the wilderness, there was still facilitation involved in that. It just looked a little bit different. And I think... um, I think what's different about it now is my own awareness of myself in the group and the dynamics, meaning in what was it? 2010, I think when, or 20, 2008, like I said, when I wrote the book, teaching people, not poses, the subtitle to that book was, um, 12 principles for teaching yoga with integrity. And after I published it, I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've, I put out a book that says, I know how to do something with integrity. (laughs) I guess I'm going to have to do something, do this with integrity. And um, so similarly to putting out this group coaching program on called yours truly, which is really about uh, creating new, new and healthier relational templates, you know, um, the capacity to show up as a whole person and like who you are and the relationships that matter to you most. I realized, Oh, now I'm, now I'm putting myself in the hot seat again of, I really have to walk the talk. I can't, be a hot mess when I'm 
doing this. I have to demonstrate that I have boundaries. I have to demonstrate that I can, um, know what my needs are and communicate them, hear what other people's needs are, create a shared space where people feel seen and heard, like all of that stuff. It just feels like it's on a, uh, it's the next level in terms of, all right, Jay, what do you got? And so what did you do in order to, to handle that, to prepare for that? Well, I, I have great supervision in the sense of I have someone that I, I go to and say, Hey, here's what's happening. Can you help me see my blind spots and my, and my stuff? I also am part of a fabulous, um, business coaching group with women entrepreneurs who are inspirational and, um, can definitely call me out on places where I'm, I'm not stepping up fully. Um, and then really just, practicing what I preach in the sense of, you know, a lot of the techniques that I, um, teach around embodiment and regulating your nervous system and, you know, putting into practice new ways of speaking and knowing how to set boundaries and make repairs when there's ruptures in relationships. I'm doing all of that as much as I possibly can catch myself in them, you know? You just, the phrase you used a few minutes ago is you went to see someone to help you see your blind spots. Yes. Do you, how, if you were to give a rough estimate, I mean, this is a a very strange question, but if you were to try and guess how many people in the average population do you think are even aware that they have a blind spot? Oh gosh. I have no idea statistically, but I would say a whole bunch are not even aware they have blind spots. Yeah. It's that whole Johari's window piece. If you know about that, it's the, um, what I know, I know what I know. I don't know Yeah. what I can't remember. I'm going to tangle up, but what I, what I don't know, I don't know. And that, what I don't know, I don't know place is such, it's so tricky. It's so destructive. It's, um, it's, that's the place where I meet my clients in. And I think that is as a coach, the place where I really had to step into my um, confidence in the sense that I started working with people in this capacity when I was 19, you know, like teaching and um, people looking to me in that way of you're the teacher, tell us the answer. And I I didn't know I was 19, you know, so I really, I'm 42 now. So I feel like I've had a little bit more life under my belt, but, uh, to, I think as a coach, in order to really help someone, you need to be able to say, there's things that I know, you know, and there's things that I know from my seat where I sit, you don't know. And I do. And I'm going to ask you, to trust me on that. And it's a, it's a tricky balance to not be, um, hierarchical or, um, directive, mm. but to rather hold kind of up a, you know, a mirror of like, Hey, check this out. Here's a, here's a view you haven't seen because you only see this view. Mm. And how, how do people react when you say that? Depends. <laughs> uh, depends on the client. I think some people, 
I get this sense of like, they're thirsty and they're like, oh yes, please tell me. Cause I know I've been tripping over myself for years and I know there's gotta be something I'm not seeing. And if you could tell me what the thing is that I'm not seeing that I'm tripping over, oh my gosh, yes. And then there's people that are more, um, I would say defended hmm. where, um, it's, it's scary. And, and when I say people, what I, I guess would be more accurate is there's parts of people hmm. because a big part of my work is understanding, um, the different parts of us right. and as sitting in the seat of coach, part of my job is to understand which part am I talking to? Right. Am I talking to a part that's here to protect or am I talking to a part that's here to grow? And there's nothing wrong with the protectors. It just means I have to meet them where they're at and, mm. um, and name, name what's happening. And do you, uh, how long have you been able that had that ability to, to be able to see people's blind spots? People's uh, people's blind spots. Oh, Gosh, I mean, who? It's a funny question, Tony, because now I'm sitting here thinking, well, maybe I have a blind spot. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can do this, and someone else would say, "Oh, sweetie, that's not what you're doing." Um, but it's, gosh, these are such good questions because I think, um, you know, I would identify as as being a highly empathic person, you know, mm -hmm. in the Strengths Finder assessment empath is my number one by far. Right. So I would say that from even my childhood, I had a sense of when people weren't being true, mm. you know, I had a, I'm, I'm one of those classic people where I'm like, I can see the potential in someone right. really clearly. Um, I can see past the BS that they're, they're whatever they're doing to, I feel like I've had that a, since I was a kid, which is part of the, um, the pain and the struggle I've felt in my life is feeling that dissonance between what seems real and what's happening. Hmm. And so I think that's part of what makes me good at what I do. Right. I was looking over your website earlier and I saw that you're, um, Actually, I was going to describe it, but I think it'd be better for you to describe it. Polyvagal theory. Talk about polyvagal theory. And for anyone listening who's never heard of that, what is it and how do you, why is it important for you? Gosh, if you haven't heard of polyvagal theory, I think this is one of those things. It's kind of like um, the world is, isn't flat, <laughs> you know, it has the potential to really change how one experiences themselves in the world. And the gist of it is, is that, you know, our autonomic nervous system is the part of our like internal detection system for what's safe and keeping us alive in our survival. And we used to think that it had kind of two major functions. The one that we think of in terms of um, the stress response of fight, flight, freeze, and then the one of rest and digest coming back down. Mm -hmm. um, but in the seventies, a man named Stephen Porges discovered that there's actually a third, um, state or a third function that humans have, uh, has related to the vagus nerve, which is where polyvagal came from, because there's 
two main parts of the vagus nerve, and depending on which is being stimulated, you have a different experience in your nervous system and your body. And um, so now that that third state is one that's called social engagement. So it's the state that our nervous system is in when we feel safe, when we feel like we're not threatened or we're not in danger. And it's the state that allows us to have a conversation like this, right? It's the state that allows us access to our prefrontal cortex, to our ability to communicate, to our our ability to be creative, to be um, collaborative. You know, everything that makes us really great as a human in this idea of like social and emotional intelligence. We don't, you know, when you're in a state of fight, flight, freeze, you don't have access to the part of you that's going to be able to have a rational conversation Hmm. or the part of you that's going to be open to curiosity and possibility. That's just, that's out the window at that part, at that point. And the thing that I think is so powerful about understanding these different states in polyvagal theory is that depending on what state we're in, it massively impacts or influences the way we see ourselves and the way we see our the world around us. Mm. And I can unpack that if you want me to say more about that. Yeah, I'd so love you to. Yeah. If we're in that what's called like a mobilized state, like when we're in a stress response, mm. you know, think about a time when you've had that experience of maybe your heart rate is racing, you're breathing fast, you're sweaty, your muscles are tense, you're not feeling, um, you're feeling stressed, you know, mm-hmm. whether you're at work or whether you're in a personal situation. If I were to ask you when you're in that kind of state, um, if you would complete the sentence, I am, how would you, how would you complete that sentence? So if I'm in a stress state, how would yeah. I, um, I am feeling stressed, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, look, I am trying to keep my head above water. I am anxious or I am yeah. struggling. Yeah. And the world is, when the you're world, in that state, how do you see the world? Maybe it's, it's not a safe place. It's uh, the world is against me or, or whatever. Absolutely not safe against me. So in that, I hear, you know, the kind of resonance of you're in fight. Mm. You're ready for the world against me. I'm going to, I'm going to be prepared. The other state, um, when we're more in a immobilized, you know, we've been high stress, high, um, mobility for a long time and you just kind of collapse. Uh, this is where I say, you know, the actions people, when they're here, it's like binge watching Netflix, sleeping a lot. You don't want to pick up the phone to talk to anybody, even the people that you love, Mm -hmm. um, tired, heavy, you know? So if you're in that state, what would you say? I am the world is. Well, um, putting you on the spot now <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm trying to think what someone who is in that kind of world would be thinking i um i am not bothered i don't know is that what they're thinking are they just but mm. yeah for well i'll tell you mine from for me when i'm in that state i would say something effective i am 
shutting down now. I am, I'm done. <laughs> you know, it's like where you just want to withdraw. It's the t- turtle in the shell kind of, right. um, and the world is overwhelming. Right. The world is abrasive. The world is asking too much of me all the time. Right. That kind of feeling. Right. So then socially engaged, you know, when we're in the state of our nervous system where we, f- we do feel safe and, um, we do want to learn. We do want to be around people. We want to have, we want to sit down to have a meal with people and have conversation. We want to start a project that requires thinking and creativity, like that kind of, for me, when I'm in that state, my, I would say I am, um, I am okay. I am fundamentally going to be okay. And the world is a complicated place, but I love it. You, you feel, do you sense the difference of, mm, absolutely? and and here's the thing back to the point I'm trying to make with all of this is nothing about the external world has changed. Mm. Nothing about my life situation or circumstances has changed. What has changed is the information that is getting from my nervous system to my conscious thinking mm. and how I interpret my experience and my world. And if you are in that place, like that you just said, where um, you feel unsafe and like the world's against you, I mean, think of how much isn't possible there. Mm. And so is it a case that many of your clients, when they initially come to you, are in that in that place? Or what is it people come to you for in the first place? Great question. Um the people who come to me, whether or not they can speak the language of polyvagal theory, mm. um, though many of them can, they've found me because they know about polyvagal theory and they want to do work with it. People who come to me know how to get to social engagement. They're not stuck in um, that mobilized or immobilized place because really, and I'm, I appreciate you asking this, Tony, because this is a good distinguisher. I am not a resilient coach, resilience coach. Mm-hmm. I am not um, a trauma coach. Like mm-hmm. if you're truly stuck in one of those mobilized or immobilized places, I know who to send you to, but it's not me. The people who come to me, and and this is a this is where I get really geeked out and excited, is they know how to get to social engagement. Though, like any other human, they naturally get dysregulated, like I, you know, everybody does and, and will. But what they found is that now that they can more reliably be in that social engagement state, they don't have skills. They don't know how to um, actually communicate from that place, meaning they might be able to now see more clearly, oh, gosh, I'm a people pleaser. And it doesn't feel good. When I people please, I get dysregulated. Hmm. Um, Or, you know, a lot of my clients are alcohol free. They've chosen to not drink anymore because they know that drinking was a part of how they manage that mobilized state or put themselves into that more numbed out immobilized state. But now that they're not drinking anymore, they don't have the social skills and the relational skills 
that they needed in the first place that they were covering up with. I'm just going to numb this out because I don't know what to do in this setting. Mm -hmm. So that's where my work comes in is that, you know, now that you understand that your body and your nervous system are a part of your behavior Mm -hmm. and how you show up, let's look at um, what blueprint or templates you got for being a good person um, for love and relating Mm-hmm. let's build some new healthy templates and then get skills on board mm-hmm. for how to, for example, um, set a boundary or make a repair when you've say had a need that you communicated and someone in your life who you really care about is upset now, mm-hmm. just because they're upset doesn't mean you don't get to have a need. It means there's a conversation that needs to happen, but we didn't, we, meaning the collective, we didn't learn those skills. You know, I think we, we learn, we have a lot of templates for, um, performing, for achieving, for being smart, um, for being needless. <laughs> we don't have a lot of templates for being an actual human in a whole, um, holistic way of relating to other people. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you are looking for deep support to create the health and life you want, we invite you to consider one-on-one coaching sessions with Tony. Coaching sessions give you personalised guidance to fit your unique goals and life situation. Only a limited number of spots are available, but you can easily get started by booking a free introductory call at tonywinyard.com. Now back to the show. There's a, a philosopher um, called Alain de Beton. de Beton. I can never say his name. Yeah. With him? yeah. I'm glad you tried and didn't make me. <laughs> and he talks about something similar. He talk in in the, the in as far as love is concerned. He says, you know, we if we want to be a mechanic, we have to study and learn about cars and this and that. And if you want to be a cook, you learn how to cook and prepare food and everything. But when it comes to love, we're expected just to be experts. We don't yeah. we don't learn anything about it. We're never taught anything about it. And this is the reason why so many relationships struggle. Yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And, you know, on top of that, not only do we not learn the right or the healthy ways, we learn all sorts of screwy things about romance and happily ever after and Um, And also just that sense, even to take it outside of the realm of romance, but you know, that once you get the good job and the nice house, it's happily ever after. And it's like Mm -hmm. that, that's a painful moment when you get to check all those boxes and you realize you're still unfulfilled. Hmm. I I get the feeling that you're, I don't know, maybe quite choosy. You've reached a level where you're able to be quite choosy about what clients you take on. would that be would I be right in that? Yeah, I think so. And that I'm really happy to say that in the sense that in my own journey as a bend over backwards people pleaser, uh, operate from fear kind of place was I used to say yes to anything. Mm. <laughs> oh, you want me to do that? Oh, I could do that. You want me to do that on this day at this time at this place? I can do that. And now I've I've really gotten to a place of knowing um, one what I'm good at and two what i enjoy 
and you know that that kind of confluence of of my my fulfillment and impact and um i've also been in the space long enough to know that if somebody comes to me and they're not the right person i typically know who is you know and it's it's not a oh you can't work with me it's more of like you know i i'm not your person i'm just I, we could dance around in this room together for a little bit and I would just feel like I'm taking your money and that doesn't feel good to me. I'd rather you go see Tony cause he's great at that. But if you want to talk about this specific kind of thing, I'm your lady. I know you've, uh, you've created a course on, I think it's on LinkedIn and how, LinkedIn learning. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what's the aim of that course and how does that help people in a different way for you working directly with someone? Yeah. Great question. Um, the LinkedIn learning courses came about because I was doing a lot of corporate work and work in organizations and also, uh, a lot of work with nurses and doctors and direct care professionals. And what I was doing was teaching them the fundamentals of embodied self-awareness and nervous system regulation and how leveraging themselves from the neck down would help them be better in their job. And I really enjoyed the work, but I also was starting to travel more than I wanted to. And then of course, pandemic hit and nobody was traveling and it was kind of a relief. And so what I decided is that I wanted to put those fundamentals into a course or now a couple of courses that can reach a huge audience. Cause the, the fundamentals, look, I'm not a researcher. I didn't come up with any of this stuff. I'm a, I'm an aggregator and a educator, you know? Um, so I wanted people to really understand in a very approachable way. This is what I mean when I say embodied self-awareness, this is what's important about knowing your nervous system, because that is, you know, like, in the same way that everybody has to cook, but not everybody's a chef, right? Or everybody drives a car, but not everybody's a mechanic. Like everybody has a nervous system and a body, and this is useful information. Now, if you want to take it to a specific type of conversation, that's a whole different sort of engagement level, um, investment, training, all of that. But those LinkedIn learning courses are for the masses to say, Hey, you're a human being in a body. This stuff could help you and it can help you at work. It can help you at home. Um, so yeah, I have one LinkedIn learning course that's on managing your emotions at work. And I have one that is on, uh, regulating your nervous system to reduce stress. I don't know a single human being that doesn't need either of those two things. And I have a third one that's in the making right now. I'm scripting and we'll be uh, filming in August. And that is going to be about uh, more looking at this idea of having different parts inside and moving from an insecure part of you to a more confident part of you at work. And how, how did you find creating those courses? I get the impression I've never created a course, so I'm just guessing here, but I get the impression it's, it's, it's similar to in writing a book, you know, you, you get put, get together a lot of content and then you've got to decide what you include in, what you leave out and so on. Yeah. And then once you've published or recorded the video or whatever, you then may have loads of, like, oh, I could have put this in and I could have put that in. Is it easy to change when you do a course on somewhere like LinkedIn? 
Uh, no, not particularly. I mean, if there's an edit or, you know, I need to go in and, um, change, uh, one of the graphics that goes with it, that's easy to change, but we have not re-recorded anything. Although I know other authors who after a few years will re-record to update some research or, or simply to update, you know, their, their look, (laughs) you know, like they've aged eight years and now they're, you know, no, no more present differently. Um, but it's, it's, it was a fascinating experience because LinkedIn learning in particular is very, um, particular about their courses. They, at least in recent years, they want everything to be under an hour, but within that, all the videos have to be under four minutes. So it was, I mean, as someone who's been an educator and a writer most of my life. I loved the process. I thought it was it was challenging, but it was like, you know, break up what it is that you say to people in your three-hour presentations into 15 three-minute videos. And that's all you get. So it was really honing down to the to the the very fundamentals. And so I I look back on what I shared. And it's been a few years since the first course published and I wouldn't change any of it because it really, they did the producers and directors did such a great job of getting me to hone and hone and whittle and whittle so that it's really just the basics that can then be, it's kind of like having a, um, a palette of the primary colors. It's simple, but then you can do whatever you want. That that brings to mind that quote. Is it is it Mark Twain? Um, I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it, you know, making those courses made me better at what I do with individuals as well. It really got me to get cut out the fat, as it were. You know, speak speak to the heart of the matter. And have they been received? Really well incredibly well. I've been blown away. I think my first course has been viewed by over 250,000 people, which is, and I get notes on a daily basis through LinkedIn from people all over the world who've watched it and, you know, thanking me or letting me know how it impacted them. And it's been really rewarding and it seems to be um, well-received and helping people. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. One of the things that you you emailed me when we were you know, having communication before the recording, and you talked about you've got a couple of habits that have had a, a big impact on your life. Yeah, the habits. Um, I think the the first, the primary one I listed was the simple habit of just checking in with my body, knowing what's happening from my neck down, and being able to track that. You know, in back in the day when I was 18 years old starting yoga, that was what the basic teaching was, right? Can you stay present in your body? The shape shifts, the posture shifts. Can you know, notice and experience what is happening for you? And um, over the years, I've taken that into right now in this moment. You know, I notice my left foot is on the ground and my right foot isn't because my my legs are crossed. I notice that my hands are kind of cold. I notice that my shoulders are hunched. You know, I notice that if right before I was paying attention, my stomach was a little bit knotted up. And then when I paid attention to it, 
I realized, oh, I can let that go. It's that kind of um, being able to track my own experience through what are the sensations I'm aware of in my body? Because if I'm sitting here talking to you, Tony, and um, I'm tight all over (laughs) and I'm sweating like crazy and uh, my heart's pounding, it's a very different conversation than if I can realize, okay, so that might be happening, but I can shift that by being aware of the fact that my, my seat is in my chair. I'm supported. You know, I can see the tree outside moving in the breeze and understand that like, oh yeah, there's more going on than what I'm tunnel visioning on, on my computer right now. So the habit is what's the most prominent sensation I'm feeling right now. And what does that tell me about my experience? Does that make sense? Well, and so I'm wondering, so how uh, do you sort of do that in some kind of reflection exercise on a daily basis? I mean, how, how do you, how do you bring that into your life? It started as a more formal kind of check-in in the right. sense of I'm going to, um, well, for me, it really was something I did in the morning. I would practice yoga um, and and have a full on session where I tried to get in my body. And then before every client, in the last couple minutes, you know, before you log into Zoom, there'd be a you know, I'd take a moment and maybe stand up and stretch my arms and <sighs> take a breath and see can I feel my feet on the ground. You know, can I, is there anything I need to shake and just get rid of tension? So it be, it was something that I was doing on purpose, typically before something scary, you know? Um, and then it became as, as with anything, what you practice is what you just start doing, uh, mm-hmm. unconsciously. It became something that I more did like, um, uh, when I'm brushing my teeth, you know, when I'm walking out to get the mail, noticing, oh gosh, I've been, my shoulders are tense. What's happening there? Um, And there's a practice that I I really like called shuttling. And that's the practice of when you're with another person or a group of people, um, paying attention to what I'm reading in you and then paying attention to what I'm reading in me. And this is one of the things that I did quite a lot when I worked with doctors and nurses. Um, You know, this idea that when you go into a room to work with a patient, most direct care professionals have been taught once you're in the room with the patient, it's about them entirely. And no reason, I mean, no um, surprise then that so many healthcare professionals burn out is because you're still a person, you're still in that room. And, you know, my mom was a nurse and she was a night nurse and she worked 12 hour shifts overnight. And she would tell me when she got home, like, gosh, I didn't, I didn't go pee the entire night. How how do you do that? Well, you do that by not having any idea of what's happening in your own body. So the shuttling practice is, you know, I'm going to pay attention to you and what you're saying and what's happening on the outside. And then I'm going to bring my attention back to me and notice how am I sitting? Would it be better if I sat up straighter? And then I'm going to pay attention to you again. And so it's shuttling like in a loom. You know, you're weaving a fabric back and forth and there's two of us here. So there's two experiences, there's Mm -hmm. two realities, and I'm going to show up as a better version of myself if I'm able to track both of us. 
And has your life changed since you've started doing that? Yeah. Yes. In in what ways? Well, the combination of one knowing how to feel myself, like have embodied self awareness along with having some of those regulation tools means that when I do check in with myself and let's say I get, um, like I was saying earlier, the most primary sensation I feel is I'm tight all over. Most likely I'm in that mobilized state where you said earlier for you, it feels like the world is against you. Mm. If I can recognize that that's what my body's doing, and I can sit up taller and maybe shake off that tension. Um, I have access again to more of a sense of the social engagement. Hmm. When I'm in social engagement, I have access to all the things that I know. Because here's the thing that's true about my clients. They know better <laughs> than how they're behaving. And the same with me. Like I studied a lot and I knew conceptually you know, that it's good to have confidence and it's good to have self-worth and all these different pieces, but I didn't know how to do it because that requires a nervous system that's on board with that idea of showing up more confidently. So yes, my life has changed entirely because now that I am not in a state where I feel like the world is against me or I need to control my external situation in order to have a more pleasant internal situation. Um, I can be in integrity with myself. I can seek out the things that actually are fulfilling because I'm not scared all the time. And to be, you know, to be fair here, I'm scared a lot. Um, but I know how to be with that fear as opposed to be run by it. Something you said a few minutes ago, I forget how you worded it, but something along the lines of we all, there's things we all know that we should be doing or want to be doing or whatever. I forget how you worded it, but it made me think, is there, is there something along those lines? Is there something that you've, you've wanted to, wanted to be getting yourself to do for a long time, like a new behavior, a new habit, whatever it is. And for whatever reason, you haven't managed to, to make that automated in your life that if you did, if you were able to, would bring more happiness in some way to your life. Is there anything that comes to mind? Oh, gosh. Um, can you say it again? I'm sorry, Tony. I, I, sorry, so if, something that I've wanted to be able to do. Yeah, some something you've been wanting to do. You want to implement a new behavior, a new habit in some way, something that's been on your mind. You know it would be good for you. And for whatever reason, you just haven't been able to do it as yet. Yeah, so I'll out myself here and say, um, you know, back to the, some of the beginning questions you were asking me about the trajectory of my career, my adult life. And in my 20s, I had a lot of, um, it might have been a mess in my relationships and in my career, but I had a really um, devoted I was very devoted to my spiritual practice. You know, what I would say, like contemplative time in nature, um, quiet time in meditation on my mat. And 
I spent an, a tremendous amount of time doing that in that decade of my life. And then I, in my thirties, I, I realized again, like, gosh, my, my out, outer life is kind of a mess. I need to clean that up and I need to step into my career and grow in all those ways. And I think I lost some of that just habitual default. I'm going to get on my mat in the morning and practice, or I'm going to go out every, like, I'm going to go out first thing every day and just take a walk in nature. Um, my life is a lot busier now and I'm instead of living alone, I'm now engaged and, you know, have two families that we're navigating. It's, there's just a lot more complexity. So for me, it would be, I know I'm a better person when I get at least one hour a day where I'm beholden to no one, but myself and spirit. And uh, I've been taking little sips here and there, but I haven't been having full, you know, a full glass. <laughs> so I'm going to change the topic and go back to, you mentioned about that you did a book. I think it was about yoga when you yes. were the, the integrity fix. I remember you talking about that was part of the title. So when you've been doing the content for the LinkedIn courses over the last couple of years, has that given you any ideas about maybe putting another book together? Ah, yes. And I get asked a lot. It's really sweet. I get asked because I do, um, I do write on a regular basis. I send out newsletters to my list and I really enjoy that. And I get a lot of people writing me back saying, I love these. Would you write more, write a book about that? Um, I, I just, sorry to interrupt you because I looked at some of your blogs and they've got They've got a very personable style to your your blog writing. I like it. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I do try to part of part of this integrity work is um, you know, show up as who you are no matter where you are. It's that idea of like if you're first dating somebody and and they're a jerk to the waiter, but they're nice to you, walk in the other direction. <laughs> Like you want to be around someone who's the same, no matter who they're with and what they're talking about. And so I do try and come across when I sit down to write as if I'm just talking to one person that I know. Um, so yes, I would love to write another book and, um, it's probably like anything else in my, my career. I've, I've, I'm not, turns out I'm not a good planner. Like, I'm not one of those people that's like, here's my two-year plan, my five-year plan. Um, I'm going to execute it this way. And I'm more of a, I don't know, fly by the seat of my pants sort of person or what's, what's here, what's alive, where's the juice. And thus far, the stars haven't aligned in terms of writing another book, but I'm sure it's out there. Well, well staying with books, is there a book that that you can think of it's really moved you in any way oh my gosh there's so many i'm i'm a i am a book nerd i read all the time um but when you ask me that question in light of our conversation a book that really moved me in an incredibly impactful way was a book called talk to me like i'm someone you love and it's written by nancy dreyfus who happens to be my um supervisor I found the book and then I reached out to her and was like, I need to work with you. And the reason why it was so impactful is it's a series of uh, this, the 
the subtitle is Relationship Repair in a Flash. And it's really a book of essentially flashcards for statements that you can say in certain difficult situations in relationship. The the first time I read this book, I had a, a visceral full body experience of reading these statements and, and <laughs> thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, that's the only the only thing you could possibly say in a situation like that. And I never in a thousand years would have ever come to that. And there was this real sense in my body of this is how I would speak if I had known from day one that my experience mattered and that it was okay to have my own needs in and still be close to another person. It's a fabulous book. I, I send it to all my clients when we first start working. I just like ship it to them. Like you need this. I guarantee it. (laughs) Is is that a book you've read on more than one occasion? Oh yes. You should see my copy. It actually has, um, none of the pages are really attached to the binding anymore. (laughs) If if people want to to find out more about you, Jay, where, where are the best places to look? Uh, my website, is j-fields.com so it's written out j-a-y and then the dash f-i-e-l-d-s.com and on that website uh there's a page that will link you to the linkedin learning courses if that's what you're interested in there's also a page that will tell you more about my group coaching program because um I have started working in this group setting like we were talking about before as well as the one-on-one coaching although I have um of just a small number of people I coach a year. And usually there's a wait list for that, but all of, and all the writing I have, that's all on there too. So j-fields.com is the the hub for anything that I've put out there in the world. Yeah, and I would suggest to anyone listening, you want to check out uh, Jay's blog and you might want to subscribe to it because it's a, yeah, it's a good, good blog from what I could say. So. Yeah. It's, it's, if you subscribe to my newsletter, that's what you'll get a piece um, once, once a week. And then all the old ones I eventually put up on the, the blog. Well, to finish, Jay, is there, is there a quotation that you like? Yes. Um, there, again, I'm, I'm a booky word person, so there's about a thousand. But the one that came to mind for today is the Rumi quote. Um, Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. And why does that resonate with you? Because, again, back to that idea of, you know, we are relational beings from from the moment we're born to the moment we die. And so much of our fulfillment comes through relating in love. And it's there. It, you know, love is everywhere, inherent in everything. But our lack of or our, our inability to feel it is usually because of old patterns inside, old beliefs, old templates, the way our nervous system is telling us we need to do this in order to survive. We can't be vulnerable. We can't be open. And once we find and remove those barriers inside, the the love is everywhere. So I love that quote as a reminder for that. Well, Jay, it's been a real pleasure um, speaking of you. So, you know, thank you for your time. It was totally worth a half hour of sitting there (laughs) trying to work through our sound issues. Absolutely, Tony, your questions have been wonderful and I've really enjoyed this. 
Thank you. Next week, episode 67 is with Amy Novotny, who is a doctor who founded the PABR Institute with the mission to provide pain, stress and anxiety relief to those who seek a naturalistic form of treatment when other treatment methods have fallen short. So we talk about her methods and you know, the countless number of people she's helped to eliminate pain and stress and, and so on. And she's authored a couple of books as well, so we, we talk about that. So that's next week, episode 67 with Amy Novotny. If you know anyone who would get some real value from the uh, the wisdom and uh, experience that Jay shared with us, please do share the episode with them. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.